So this morning, the, the premise of my message is, is really very simple. In preparing for a message like this or just studying on your own a passage of scripture, we should be seeking to answer three very simple questions. If you're following along and you want to take some notes, this, this will help you in your Bible study uh, going forward. The first of the three questions is, what is the nature of God? As we read scripture, we need to see how that passage of scripture answers that question. The second question is, what is the nature of of human beings. And when, I, when I'm talking about human beings in this question, I'm talking about human beings in the natural fallen state in which we find ourselves. In other words, what is the human condition that this passage of scripture addresses for us? And then the third question is, what is the desired relationship between God and humans and between humans one to another. And the caveat to that is when we are in Christ. So when we listen to or read the gospel lesson from Luke 15 this morning, we can examine it in light of those, these three questions and we can come to some basic truths about who God is, about who we are, and about the relationship we have with him and with each other. Now, if we look at our epistle from Paul, which we didn't read this morning, it's from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, we can look for the answers to those same three questions. What's the nature of God? What's the nature of fallen man? What's the desired relationship between God and humans and between humans one to another when we abide in Christ? Listen to our uh, epistle from Paul in uh, Paul's, uh, is it first letter? Second letter to the Corinthians. Hear what Paul writes. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
So as we look at our gospel lesson from Luke and our letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, we see some interesting things about the nature of God. And we can even cross reference because most of our Bibles have other scriptures that we can turn to that will expound on the concepts being poured forth in these scriptures. We can cross-reference our findings with other passages of Scripture and give ourselves a clearer picture of the consistency of the Bible in describing for us the character and nature of God. And the first aspect of God's character that we see in these two writings is that God is perfect. And the references that my study Bible has 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is perfect. Or Isaiah 6, 3, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is perfect. God is perfect and the uttermost of everything. He's perfectly good, perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. He's perfectly patient with you and with me as we work toward becoming more like Christ who is sinless. The nature of God the Son, the nature of Jesus Christ is that he is sinless. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 is the cross reference. Listen to this. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. So we see the nature of God. We see nature of God the Father. We see the nature and character of God the Son. And then we also see, in sharp contrast to the character of God, the character of Christ, we see that the nature of humans, fallen man, our nature, is that we're sinful. We daily fall short of the glory of God. And that's the problem. That's a problem because the intended nature of humankind is to be holy. God's people are to be holy. First Peter 1, 13 and 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, Matthew says the same thing in a much simpler, more easy to remember verse. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. We are to strive to be like God the Father, God the Son, to be perfectly holy and righteous. Now in our fallen condition, you and I know that's just not going to happen without Jesus Christ in our lives. 
But nonetheless, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God did not call us to impurity, but to holiness. See, God's design for you and me is to be like him. So the nature of God is that he's perfect. The nature of humankind is that we're sinful, but we were created to be holy. We were created to be without sin. And it's this fallen nature of of humanity that causes this separation between God and humans. But see, God sent his son and the nature of his son is that he is sinless. And it's that quality of Christ that provides the way for us to be reconciled to God. And so to understand how that reconciliation between God and and humankind takes place, we need to understand just a little bit more about the nature of God. We need to understand God's attitude about sin. See, God knows we sin. Jeremiah 16, 17, for my eyes are on all your ways. They are not hidden from my presence, nor is their iniquity concealed from my sight. God sees it when we sin. And just in case you're wondering, he doesn't like it. Not only does he know we sin in our actions, but he also knows when we sin in our minds and in our hearts. Listen to Psalm 139, one through four. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts, even from heaven. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh, Lord, you know it completely. See, God knows we sin and it causes him to grieve over that sin. How do we know that? Well, Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. Isaiah 63, 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he became their enemy. He himself fought against them. Or Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Why does God grieve over our sin? Well, he grieves over it because God hates sin. He grieves over it because he loves us and he knows that sin is this wedge that's been driven between him and us. That's why he hates sin. Because he loves us so much and he is a jealous God. He doesn't want our attention focused on sin. He wants it focused on him. God hates sin. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things it says that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that hurry to run to evil, a lying witness who testifies falsely, and one who sows discord in a family. See, sin provokes the anger of God. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness for those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the son will not see life, 
but must endure God's wrath. See, we see that God in his perfect holiness, in his perfect righteousness, in his perfect justice, cannot abide sin in his creation. And it's this understanding of the character and nature of God that we see another characteristic of God. We see that in his dealings with us, even in our sinful nature, he is patient and merciful and full of grace. Thank God for that. Psalm 78, 38. Yet he being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Often he restrained his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. See, it's this patience of God that Paul speaks about in his letter to Timothy, it's 1 Timothy 1.16. Listen to this. But for the, that very reason, I received mercy. So that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. See, God provided a way of reconciliation between us and him through this sinlessness nature of Jesus Christ, the Son. See, Jesus brought a ministry of forgiveness to humanity because God wants us to be reconciled to him and redeemed through Jesus Christ. And he tells us so. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, there are countless examples of this concept in the Gospels. Our, our gospel lesson from Luke 15 this morning is a, is a good example of the forgiving nature of God as expressed through the Son. What our text this morning left out was the parables that Jesus told as, as he built up to the parable of the prodigal son, which we heard this morning. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, Luke writes. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, Jesus said, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, 
and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God is in constant pursuit of lost things. Let me say that again. God is in constant pursuit of the things that are lost. That's the nature of the forgiveness of God, the pursuit of what was lost. The shepherd pursues the lost sheep. The woman pursues the lost coin. Neither one satisfied with the ones that remain, but instead going that extra mile to recover that one that was lost. See, God does not desire that even one should perish. God does not desire that even one would be lost. Why? John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, God knows we sin. God doesn't want that sin to be the stumbling block that keeps us from eternal life with him. So he sent his son, Jesus, to dwell among us to live as one of us. Hebrews 4.15 through 5.2 explains who this Jesus is. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But instead we have one who in every respect has been tested just as we are. And yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He is able Jesus is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself was subject to weakness. See, because our Savior lived as one of us, he knows what we're dealing with. The nature of God is that he is not a far off God who is unsympathetic to our struggle, but rather he is an up close, personal, approachable God. A God who has walked in our shoes, a God who died for our sins, was risen from the dead and ascended to heaven to be our advocate to God the Father. And so the, the nature of our relationship to God and to one another is no longer one of loss and separation, but it's one of reconciliation. It's one of redemption. It's one of hope. It's one of love. Why? Well, because whether you're a lost sheep or a lost coin or a lost person, 
all things are found by the relentless pursuit of God the Father. This amazing forgiveness of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit that seeks to bring you to the base of the cross where that mercy and grace waits for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll stand for our final hymn this morning, Rocker.